to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino Placerville, and it's time for the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Hanson Brothers Enterprises since 1953, offering bulked and bagged soils, amendments, and fertilizers for gardening needs. Also, excavation, paving, underground utilities, and site work services for public, private, and commercial enterprises. Go hbe.com. And 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, and a variety of craft beers, offering a pub-style menu, wood-fired pizzas. They're open daily for takeout only. 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sutton Way, Grass Valley, 1849 brewingcompany.com and Serenos at Main Street of Grass Valley serving Italian cuisine since 1983 reopening when safety conditions allow with customized private dining spaces called Snugs prioritizing customer safety when dining in Nevada County Serenos at MainStreet.com After the NPR headlines and regional weather, we'll have this week's edition of Brave Hearts. Also, we'll have national native news, and I'll be speaking with Molly Fisk about her 500th essay, which we're going to close the evening news with. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The two top congressional Democrats are now calling for the immediate removal of President Trump a day after the U.S. Capitol building was attacked by his supporters. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi are calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Trump from office. Speaker Pelosi says if Pence doesn't move to invoke the 25th Amendment, she and other members of Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeaching Trump for a second time. By inciting sedition, as he did yesterday, he must be removed from office. While it's only 13 days left, any day can be a horror show. In a statement, incoming Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called the attack on the Capitol building an insurrection against the nation, adding that Trump should not hold office for one day longer. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany came into the White House briefing room today to say the White House and President Trump find the siege at the U.S. Capitol yesterday to be appalling. And she said those involved should be prosecuted. Those who violently besieged our Capitol are the opposite of everything this administration stands for. The core value of our administration is the idea that all citizens have the right to live in safety, peace, and and freedom. However, while condemning the violence, McEnany speaking on behalf of the president took no responsibility for what happened. Trump at a rally yesterday exhorted his followers to march on the Capitol building, leading to the melee in which police were hurt and four people died, including a woman who was shot by a police officer. Trump has remained quiet. McEnany took no questions following the brief statement. U.S. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund is resigning following yesterday's security breach at the Capitol, according to a spokesperson. The chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee is pledging to advance President-elect Joe Biden's nominees for the Justice Department, NPR's Kerry Johnson reports. 
Illinois Democrat Dick Durbin is applauding the selection of federal appeals court judge Merrick Garland to be attorney general. Durbin says the judge will bring integrity and credibility to the Justice Department after four years of turmoil during the Trump years. Durbin says he'll give Garland a speedy confirmation hearing, something Republicans denied the judge when he was nominated to serve on the Supreme Court in 2016. Biden will nominate Lisa Monaco to serve as deputy attorney general, describing her as a trailblazer in national security. Monaco started her career prosecuting violent crimes in D.C. She rose to become President Obama's Homeland Security Advisor. As Deputy AG, she'll manage the sprawling Justice Department. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. Stocks rallied to new record highs on Wall Street today. The Dow up 211 points. The Nasdaq rose 326 points. You're listening to NPR. The nation's rivers appear to be changing color at an increasing rate. That's according to a new study that says one-third of America's rivers have changed color since 1984. study says much of that is rivers getting greener, something scientists say generally is not good. It often means nasty and at times toxic algae blooms. It's something that appears to be mostly happening in the north and west. Other river segments are getting more yellow, a sign of more soil in the water. Only about 5% of U.S. river segments are considered to be blue. States that have begun vaccinating seniors are finding it necessary to plan for extra doses. As Blake Farmer of member station WPLN reports, there is no federal guidance here. Tennessee is one of the states that's opened up vaccinations to the masses. Here it's over age 75. But because of no-shows or the unpredictable number of doses that can be drawn from each vial, there are often extras at the end of the day. In West Tennessee, the health department in Jackson has established an on-call list. Tennessee's health commissioner, Dr. Lisa Piercy, says it's for any resident of any age so long as they can arrive within 30 minutes. What Jackson is doing is is somewhat of a best practice, um, saying, hey, you know, you're going to have to respond quickly, but we are not going to waste a single dose. Other counties are offering leftover doses to public health workers or first responders who were off or otherwise declined when their turn passed last week. But everyone's having to come up with their own process. For NPR News, I'm Blake Farmer in Nashville. Crude oil futures prices managed to follow stocks higher today. Oil ended the session up 20 cents a barrel to settle at 50.83 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NP. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Yext. When your website can't answer your customers' questions, they bounce over to a search engine and get ads, not the answers they need. Yext Answers can help. Go to yext.com for a free trial. And taking a look at the weather. First, here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like we'll have a low of 44 tonight, high of 50 tomorrow few showers tonight, but mostly sunny through next week, with highs in the upper 50s. Sacramento, low of 41 tonight, high of 59 tomorrow. Showers later tonight, but mostly sunny through next week, with highs in the 50s. And in Truckee, low of 24, high of 40 tomorrow, partly cloudy through next week, with highs in the mid-40s and no snow in the forecast. Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. 
We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Well, welcome to another episode of Bravehearts. I am here on Zoom with my good friend and colleague, Trina. And Trina, we caught her story back in 2017, and you can find that on the KVMR Storycatcher site. But her story of homelessness dates back really many years. And now she, of course, is going through another phase of her life experience. So, Trina, my first question is, how do you summarize your homeless experience? I think there was some people, they passed judgment on it. I tried to be open about it because I didn't feel, actually, I didn't feel ashamed of it. I mean, it wasn't my fault. And the reason I chose to uh, stay homeless is that I ended up, but especially with car bills. So I decided instead of getting another car, and I ended up probably putting tens of thousands of dollars in a really old car, but it was worth it, you know, it's in great running shape, but as opposed to, you know, I couldn't take out any debt for another car. And I figured like getting something cheap, but you know, I was going to end up having the same problems to begin with. So that was driving a lot of the, the homelessness was trying to, and I did want to save more money too before I got a place. But actually, you know, I had set up a, you know, pretty nice life. I would show up at the gym regularly about six days a week for a few hours and then uh, go to the co-op for meals. They were totally fine. That was like one, the only place I really felt, I think, accepted in terms of like the staff. And I mean, in a couple, I remember like Sean asking me, oh, okay, but you know, as long as I wasn't, you know, I wasn't disrupting people. I was usually on the computer reading stuff or it was working out. But then all of a sudden I had this, um, it's called performance syndrome. And it was this kind of bizarre chronic pain in my, on my leg. And just, it wouldn't go away. And I think actually looking back, this was, you know, kind of like God telling me, you need to find a place. And this was like early 2019. And I actually opened up to the idea of finding a place, largely because it just became uncomfortable lying around. There was very limited things I could do. But the other thing that I had to deal with was sort of this chronic pain. And it wouldn't go away. And then I went to a doctor and the doctor said, well, physical therapy, and if that doesn't work, surgery. And I'd already had an MRI done on this and the muscle, there's no damage to this muscle. And I am thinking surgery, I, oh, it usually doesn't work very well, <laughs> really, ruin my muscle. Yeah. <laughs> so I started looking online because I was just like, this isn't making sense. And I came across Dr. John Sarno. He used to be actually, he was a doctor who was a pain specialist, chronic pain specialist, was at New York University. The School of Medicine has a pain management clinic. But he went through kind of evaluating. And he's like, yeah, we've had really very limited success with people. 
the thing is, I do disagree with his description of what was going on. He sort of goes into Freud. You don't really need to. I think what happens with each and every one of us is that we become too much of something. So for me, it's, um, you know, it was, I think it was anxiety, but also what happens is I think you get messages. The body sends pain signals when it wants to move on from a rough situation. And this situation was rough, namely because of the police, which I'll get into later. What I began to get an appreciation for through Sarno's work is how the mind can trigger pain because it's something else. It's not being resolved psychologically. The other thing is I also have kind of like this middle and lower back pain and it'll show up. If I get really like anxious about something and it'll show up, but I keep with my routine, but the thing is to manage the thoughts. We're never trained to manage the thoughts that come with it. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin is claiming a legal victory after a Michigan administrative law judge denied a wetlands permit for the Back 40 mine due to a lack of information on environmental impacts. The tribe challenged the permit to protect the Menominee River wetlands and to protect cultural and historic resources. Tribal officials say the proposed open pit gold and zinc mine threatens water, the environment, and would have a negative impact on sacred sites. In a statement, Menominee Chairwoman Joan Delabru said it's a win for the river, people, and tribe. She added they will not stop fighting until the waters, lands, and sacred sites are protected for good. The company behind the project, Aquila Resources, in a statement disapproved of the decision and is evaluating next steps. Supporters of the mine are seeking jobs and an economic boost. Native vote advocates helped rally Native voters in Georgia. The group Four Directions, the state-recognized Lower Muscogee Creek Tribe and the grassroots group Civic Georgia worked together to get out the Native vote. They encouraged people to vote Tuesday in Georgia's runoff election. The groups hosted a virtual powwow leading up to Election Day. Lower Muscogee Creek Principal Chief Marion McCormick says people tend to overlook Native people in the state. Here in Georgia, they tend to think Native Americans were all removed. And that is that none of us are here. I have been Principal Chief of the Lower Muscogee Creek Tribe for over 27 years. We're among nearly 150,000 Native Americans who live in Georgia today. We are strong people, and as our ancestors have done for generations, we will move on and we will survive and we will honor those that have gone on before us. McCormick says her people have been hit hard by COVID-19, adding they need to engage politically to have their needs met and voices heard. Kevin Sinha with Civic Georgia says the collaboration is part of community building. Building community with all of you is the core of civic engagement so that we can connect, we learn, we discuss issues, 
we have opportunities to heal and work together to make progress. The Georgia runoff election was for two U.S. Senate seats and Public Service Commission. According to Four Directions, there are more than 100,000 eligible Native American voters in the state. A lawsuit over Neiman Marcus selling a coat that bears a striking resemblance to a copyrighted Alaska Native Raven Tells pattern is close to a settlement. From KTOO and Juno, Jeremy Shea reports. The cultural nonprofit Sea Alaska Heritage Institute and the heirs of the late weaver Clarissa Rizal sued the luxury retailer in April. They said Neiman Marcus violated the Indian Arts and Crafts Act by misrepresenting the coat as an Alaska Native craft. In a joint filing in federal court, both sides say they've agreed to the key terms of a settlement and are just working on details. They think they'll have it worked out by January 29th. Institute President Rosita Worrell responded to a request for comment by email. She didn't share any particulars of the settlement, but said the Institute was grateful for the attention the lawsuit had received. Quote, the widespread interest in this story indicates to us that the public is as concerned as we are about protecting our cultural heritage. Attorneys representing Neiman Marcus, an luxury brand based in Germany that's also a defendant, could not be reached for comment. For unrelated reasons, Neiman Marcus declared bankruptcy in May, then worked its way out in September. In Juno, I'm Jeremy Shea. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. If you're a Native American expanding or starting a business, the Indian Loan Guarantee and Insurance Program supports your lender so your lender can make the business loan you need. Info by emailing dci at bia.gov. The Office of Indian Energy and Economic Development supports this program. Support by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the SAMHSA-sponsored Opioid Response Network, working across the nation to address the opioid crisis in tribal communities. Information and support at aaip.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we have this week's edition of Money Matters, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have a talk with Molly Fisk about her 500th essay on KVMR, which we will be playing after our little talk. Well, I'm talking with Molly Fisk, and this is quite a day today, Molly. Today we're going to air your 500th essay. What an accomplishment. (laughs) For our listeners, uh, what was the first year that you started doing essays for KVMR? I began in October of 2005. And was Mike Thornton news director then? Um, No. Well, 
I don't exactly know who was what, but Carolyn Crane was working in the news department, and she's the person who asked me to do radio commentary. And she said, it's just an essay. And I thought to myself, well, fine, but I don't write essays. I write poems. Um, and she said, no, we really need someone. We really want it to be you, and it's three minutes. And please don't use those seven words that will shut down the radio station. <laughs> that sounds like Carolyn. Yeah. yeah the, actually, Mike was news director then. They were working together. That was a, that was a really good time for KVMR News. That was probably the best duo we ever had, in my opinion. It was very fun. Yeah, but I've been doing the news now since um, oh summer of '08. So my goodness, how how many years is that? Twelve, thirteen years, yep. and amazing, and. Uh, uh, this is my last year, so uh, but you're going to continue on with our new news director, Claudio, and uh, he'll be picking right up with, with uh, what you're doing. Okay, here's a very simple question, and it's a very basic question, but yet it's worth asking. What is the difference between an essay and a poem? Well, an essay is prose, and the other forms of prose are journalism, novels, fiction, nonfiction, um, anything that's written in regular old sentences. Poetry is, um, I can't remember, oh, it's Coleridge. So I learned this from Utah Phillips, who said it on stage once as he was introducing me. And it's a quote from Samuel Coleridge, who said, prose is words in their best order. And poetry is the best words in their best order. It's more compressed. It often, often has more open space in it for people to think or imagine uh, some of the images that are being used. It's a very different kind of writing than what most of us ordinarily do in our regular lives. Or most writers are not poets. They're, they're prose writers. But you've done... This will be 500. Uh, do you ever run out of ideas? Yes. Not that often because, you know, I just think a lot. And I, I'm one of those people who can write about what's in front of them, which some people really can't. But, you know, part of my joke to myself is I'm always in coffee shops. Before this year, I was always in coffee shops writing because I wanted to be out of the house. And I like a certain amount of white noise. I grew up, you know, learning to do my homework with the dishwasher running and the rest of my siblings running around the house and probably some Neil Young on the radio. So um, I like some outside noise. And I've written a lot about what I saw at coffee shops or eavesdropped on. Um, but I also think about, you know, what's going on in my lives and the lives of people I know and the lives of people in the country. And sometimes I write about the skunk that came in to eat cat food the other night or whatever it is. Um, there's a certain amount of local color that just appears. And how many books of um, essays and poems have you published at this point? I've published two books of poems, and I've published four books of these radio essays. Each book has 50 essays in it. And how can people uh, uh, find out more about that? How can they get a copy? They can um, come to my website, mollyfisk.com, and find them all there. 
they're in our libraries if they want to read them that way. But if they want to have their own copy, there are many places around town they can purchase that. So Harmony Books in Nevada City and the bookseller in Grass Valley and the Nevada City SPD is actually one of my big sellers. And also Kit Kadizzi and J.J. Jackson's in Nevada City. Well, Molly, I certainly appreciate your contributions to the evening news. I think it just, I wanted something in the news, and this is probably what Carolyn Crane had in mind, too. Just something that give us a different taste as we, as we kind of, uh, you know, finish it off and put us in a different place. And I really thank you so much for doing that for all these 12 years that you and I have been doing it together. That's amazing. And you're very welcome. Okay, Molly. Well, then uh, we'll just proceed with your 500th essay. And thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Take care. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Well, it's finally happened. The unlikely result of writing three minutes of silliness, appreciation, irritation, and or pathos every week for 15 years. Thanks to the miracles of stamina and arithmetic, we have arrived at my 500th radio essay. If we weren't sequestered, I might put on long gloves and a ball gown to walk the streets of Nevada City and wave to you while reeling off my Oscar speech. But since we are, I won't. You can imagine the teal-green taffeta and cream-colored gloves while you listen, though, and the sapphires dangling from my ears, loaned for the afternoon by Harry Winston. Luckily, my speech is short. Thank you. That's it, but I still have two and a half minutes to fill, so let me be specific. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for saying hello in restaurants, grocery stores, banks, at the dump, at the river, on the Scotts Flat Lake boat ramp, in classrooms and concert hall will call ticket lines. Thanks for your emails, texts, letters, and gifts in my mailbox. I'm looking at you, Marianne Berliner and Robert Lee Haycock. Thanks for laughing when I said Neil Young didn't seem to mind that his neck looked like a 200-year-old elephant scrotum my most loved sentence of the last 15 years. Thank you for thinking these essays are poems. Thanks for checking my facts, correcting my grammar, and pointing out all the other copper beech trees in the county. I mean it. All I've ever wanted was to be known, and your responses prove you know me, that we're connected. It has kept me going through some very hard times. And here we are in national and global hard times together, which is new and shocking for some and crushingly familiar for others. One of my jobs on the radio, besides reporting wildlife home invasions, is reminding us of the obvious, things we may have stopped noticing. That's where being a poet comes in handy. Poets are all about seeing the small stuff and showing you why it's big. Why watching the winter migration of swans to the rice fields helps you feel less lonely. Why not using your turn signal leads directly to an armed invasion of the Senate chambers. I thought about retiring after my 500th essay. Isn't 500 of anything enough? 
but I'm going to keep rolling and add some surprises. Stay tuned if you like surprises. When people asked what this essay would be about, I said devotion and dancing, just to have something to say. I never know what they're about until I write them. I meant devotion as in doing one thing so many times it becomes a form of prayer. It could be anything, secret acts of kindness or not drinking. If you had told me I was going to devote much of my writing life to a three-minute radio essay for an obscure community station for free, I would not have believed you. Yet here I am. I mentioned dancing because I'm trying to learn the steps to the line dance Jerusalemma and join a global celebration. Look it up if you'd like and come dance whenever lockdown lifts enough that we can gather. My knees are complaining and so far I've only practiced seven times. You know what that means. I know you do. Seven down, 493 more to go. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Well, that's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's evening news airs Monday through Friday and is produced by KVMR's news team. If you've heard something on this newscast you'd like to hear again, you can go to our website at kvmr.org or you can download audio or listen on demand. Coming up next, we have this week's edition of Money Matters and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Good. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great evening.